Um, I learned a, a new fact this week that surprised me. Um, it might be a fact you already know. Um, I'd be amazed if you do, but it, um, you might do. It's an unusual fact that I learned, and it was this. I learned that there are 572 different known phobias and fears. And uh, so that's a lot of different things that you can be afraid of, isn't it? 572 listed specific phobias um, and fears. Some of them are phobias that are pretty common. Uh, I'm sure you guys might, um, you know, put your hand up to say your hand. I'm not going to ask you to, so don't worry. But, you know, things like um, claustrophobia, being scared of kind of tight, small spaces, or uh, things like arachnophobia, being scared of spiders. Uh, I'm sure there's at least one or two of you here who wouldn't like it if a creepy spider was crawling up your leg right now. But um, some of them are a little bit more unusual. So why don't we have a look at, at one or two? And uh, they'll pop up on the screen. We'll start with one that you uh, might be more familiar with. So, acrophobia is the fear of heights. Um, now, I don't mind heights particularly, but I wouldn't want to be stood where that person is right now. I don't know about you. That's probably taking it a little bit too far, stood on the edge there. If we go on to the next one, ballistophobia. Now, uh, now personally, I think this one's probably a, a sensible phobia to have. Um, you know, this is the fear of missiles or bullets. Now, it's one thing if they're sat there doing nothing, that's quite all right. But if they're flying towards you, then I think it's probably reasonable to move away and be a little bit scared. Um, the next one we're going to go on. Now, I'm only going to say this once, and I can't promise that I will say it right. But this is arachipaterophobia. And um, yeah, this one, I, if anyone has this, I would love to meet you afterwards. This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the top of your mouth. Um, so there we go. 572 phobias allows you to get pretty specific. If we go on to the next one, um, Novocophobia. Um, gentlemen, this is the fear of your mother-in-law. Okay. <laughs> if we go on to the next one, uh, homophobia. Now, if you have this, and I have to apologise this morning, it's probably going to be a stressful and difficult time for you, but I'll try and make it as easy as possible. This is the fear of sermons. Okay. <laughs> And the last one that we're going to look at this morning is tropophobia. And tropophobia is the fear of moving or the fear of change, making changes. You know, it's probably something that you wouldn't necessarily have a phobia of, but if we're honest, I think most of us would probably admit that change can often be pretty scary, can't it? You know, all of us are probably a little bit uncomfortable with change. You know, and it's been fantastic to hear the stories that the different guys have been, been sharing today. But if you've been listening carefully, that you'll have noticed that in one way or another, every single one of those stories involved a process of God at work moving them from one place to another place. They had to be able to move. It involved a process of change within their lives that, that God was wanting to bring about. You know, and the reality is that for every single one of us, if we are thinking about making a decision to follow Jesus, or if we're already followers of Jesus, and, and we're, we're needing to day by day work out what that looks like and what that means, then actually every single one of us needs to be ready to face change. It's always going to involve changes within our lives day by day if we're going to enjoy the fullness of all that God has made us to be, and the fullness of life that God desires us and plans for us to have. But change can be scary, can't it? Change involves letting go. Letting go of what's familiar. Letting go of what you're comfortable with. Letting go of, of what it is that you know. 
Even if that's not a nice thing that you know, it's what you're familiar with, you're comfortable with. It's, it's, it can be hard to, to let go of it. Change can be scary because it involves stepping into the unknown. It involves suddenly putting yourself in a position that you've never been before. It requires a step of faith. And the confidence that in that you're making the right decision. You know, change can be such an issue that many of us don't even like small changes in our lives, do we? You know, you don't like changes to your routine or just getting up at a different time in the morning. We have our set ways that we like to do things. And if someone interrupts and gets in the way of that, we get agitated and we don't like it. You know, I once heard a person say recently um, that the only people who like change are babies in wet nappies. Now, I'm a dad of three. One of them's still in nappies, and I can tell you that I'm not convinced that's even the case. <laughs> if you go by the fuss that babies make when you try and change their nappy and how much they, they try and fight you for it, then I'm not sure they, they even like that. I think often they would much rather be left in a warm, wet nappy than face the cost of being made cold and stripped and this cold wipe rubbed on their nice, warm skin. I think often they'd rather be in a warm, wet nappy than be pinned down and stopped from being able to crawl off and explore and go and do the different things that they want to do. They would rather stay in the mess of a dirty nappy than pay the cost that is needed in order to experience the change that is best for them. Now, I wonder how many of us can be like a baby in a dirty nappy sometimes where we choose to stay where we are in life. Because it's easy. Because it's what we're comfortable with. Because it's what we know. And we don't want to face the temporary cost of being changed, of allowing change to happen in order for us to experience life in all its fullness. Do you know, even though change can be scary, And it can often involve a difficult transition process. You know, as we let go of one way of doing things and one way of thinking about things and we embrace another one. One thing that we can put our faith in, one thing that we can, means that we can be confident that we're making the right decision is that the change that God desires for us is always motivated by his love. The change that God desires for us is always a change for our best. God knows what is best for us. So when God is prompting you to make changes in life, it is never because he's trying to be a killjoy and stop your fun and pin you down. We can be confident of that because Jesus tells us that the reason that he came is that in order that we may know life and life in all its fullness. The best life possible. So I want to encourage you this morning, if God has been prompting you, if you've been getting a sense within your spirit that that change needs to happen in your life, maybe big change, maybe small change, but he's been highlighting something for you. Maybe he starts to highlight things this morning as, as you've heard these different stories or you hear me speaking now. Things that need to change. I want to encourage you that when God prompts change, it is never a change to be scared of. You don't need to have tropophobia. They are changes for your good. Um, and, you know, I met up with the guys who were getting baptized today a, a few days ago, and um, I hope you don't mind, Joe. But I love the way that she, Gemma described um, 
the change that has taken place in life as a result of putting her trust in Jesus. She said, very simple statement, she said, I feel like I'm the same, but better. You know, she was still her. She still had the same personality. She, you know, was, still had the same sense of humor. God hadn't come in and taken over and squashed her and changed her and made her into this different person. What had happened is that God had worked in her so that she could be the best her possible. So that she could step into the freedom that God has for her. So that she could discover who God had really made her to be. And that's the kind of change that God desires for each and every one of us. God wants to work change in your life and he wants to work change in my life. Day by day. Day by day. So that we can be set free from fear. Set free from insecurity. Set free from cycles of wrong behavior that we might feel ourselves trapped in and we don't know how to get away from. Set free from guilt. Set free to be able to enjoy the fullness of life and the fullness of relationship with him and the fullness of the Spirit's work within our lives. And experiencing that kind of change is not something you need to be scared of. Experiencing that kind of change is something which is exciting and it's liberating. So this morning, to help us see that kind of change that God wants to work within our lives, we're going to have a look at an encounter with Jesus. And it's an encounter that probably involves the most radical change of any that we we kind of read about within the Bible. It's the encounter of Jesus with a man named Saul. Uh, He later becomes more well-known as Paul. And you can find it in Acts chapter 9. I'm just going to read a bit out. It's not going to pop up on the screen today because I'm going to dip in and out of it a little bit. Um, But the the chapter begins in verses 1 and 2 by saying, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is, who were Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You know, these first couple of verses, they give us a little bit of an insight into who Saul is. You see, Saul was a man who had a great reputation within that kind of Jewish culture, within the Jewish society that he lived. He was a very religious um, Jew who devoted his life not only to learning the law, but actually to enforcing the law within his own life and within everybody else's. You know, he was well thought of. He was part of the Jewish kind of ruling class and ruling society. He was passionate about his beliefs. And in fact, he was so passionate and so zealous about his beliefs that, and so passionate that it needed to be enforced upon everybody that actually, if you were going to think in terms of modern day terms, the most kind of people that Paul saw would have the greatest similarity to do would be modern day religious terrorists. If you want to think who Saul was, that's who he was. He was so passionate about his beliefs that he was violently opposed to anybody who did anything that could bring his beliefs under threat. Later in Acts 26, Saul tells us his own story, is recounting um, what he used to be like, a bit like the guys have done this morning. And, and he tells how he did everything in his power to oppose people who follow Jesus. And not only did he, he put them in prison like we, we read in these couple of verses, but actually he went beyond that. He says he, he went from synagogue to synagogue, um, hunting Christians down and trying to violently force Christians to reject Jesus. And if they didn't, then what he would do he'd do is cast his vote against them for them to be put to death. 
He was single-handedly responsible, not only for putting Christians in, in prison, but for, for, you know, if you, how do you violently try and cause somebody to reject Christ? I can only imagine that he was involved in torture. Cass's vote against them to be put to death, he was involved in murder. The closest thing that this we have today for Saul is a modern-day terrorist. You know, but we might be horrified by Saul's actions. But actually, do you know what? It gained him a lot of support within his, his world amongst the Jewish leaders. So even though we might look at Saul and say, here's a man who needs radical change in his life. As far as Saul was concerned, he had life sorted. He wasn't looking to change. Saul thought he knew exactly the way that life worked. He had reputation. He had power. He had authority. He had the promise of a future career of influence. He was a a man who believed that he was spending his life doing what it is that God wanted him to do. Saul thought he'd made it. He thought he had it all figured out. He thought he matched up to all God's expectations. In fact, when he looked around at the other Jews who were around him, he thought he was better than them all. So Saul wasn't looking to change. As far as he was concerned, why should he need to? Well, why don't we read what happens next in Acts 9. So the writer goes on, this is from verses uh, 3 to 9. He says, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Can you imagine how confused Saul must be during these three days? He thought he had it all figured out. He thought he knew what life was about and that he was doing the right thing. He thought that he knew best and no one could tell him otherwise. What a shock it must have been for him. When this light flashed from heaven and he fell to the ground... And along with everyone else there with him, he heard this voice speak out of the light. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And there must have been something in that voice or something about that light which shone with some kind of glory and power because Saul immediately recognizes this is the Lord speaking. He says, who are you, Lord? And the answer he got back must have turned his world upside down. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And once the, the, as soon as he's heard these words, Paul Saul tries to get up off the ground and open his eyes, and he discovers that he's blind. He can't see a thing. And what follows is that he enters into Damascus, not as this powerful man of authority and reputation, there to stamp the Jewish rule in place, but instead he enters into Damascus, Blind, confused, led by the hand. Can't even make it there on his own. Completely humiliated. 
He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He spends three days confused, full of questions, wondering what it is that's going on, doing an awful lot of praying, crying out to God to make sense of what it is that's just happened. You know, it might be that this morning, if you're honest, you feel like life is all good. That you've got it all sorted. You've got it all figured out. But do you know the first thing that needs to happen if we're going to experience all that God has for us in this life? The first thing that needs to happen is that we need to recognize that we need to change. And so often that can be the hardest part. You know, like Saul, the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to swallow our pride and recognize that actually we haven't got it all sorted. You know, so often it's our pride that makes us struggle to admit our weakness and struggle to admit our mistakes. Not only to other people, but sometimes even to ourselves. You know, Proverbs 18 verse 12 says, Prideful people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit that they need help. You know, I think what made Saul most scared about change was his pride. You know, to change and accept that he hadn't got life sorted. That actually the followers of Jesus, who he'd been violently opposed to and dedicated his life to to destroying, they're the ones who got it right. That meant turning his world upside down. That meant admitting his mistakes in a big, big way. It meant letting go of his reputation. And his standing in society it meant letting go of his aspirations to be a Jewish leader in the career that he had. All the power and the influence that had been entrusted to him. It meant admitting that actually he had devoted his life, instead of devoting it to serving God, he had devoted it to being opposed not only to Christians, but opposed to God himself. All of that meant letting go of his pride. And what a humbling process it must have been. Can you imagine being there at this public encounter with Jesus? It's not a private little thing in your room. It's there with everybody there. They hear the voice. They see Saul drop to the floor. They see him blind and confused. How humbling must it have been to enter into Damascus led by the hand. And to spend the next three days blind with nothing to do but contemplate the mistakes that you'd made. You know, I have no doubt that over those three days that Saul came to a place where he was ready to admit that he needed help. That he needed Jesus. You know, this morning the starting point for you to experience the change that God wants to work in your life is to realize and to admit simply that you need help. Now, for Saul, that involved God stepping in and humbling him in a radical and a massively drastic way, publicly in front of everybody. And I have to tell you, it is always less painful if instead we choose to humble ourselves. If we get there on our own, rather than requiring that kind of radical intervention. You know, to recognize that even if we're not responsible for persecuting Christians like Saul did, 
that actually, in a sense, we're still responsible for persecuting Jesus. We're responsible for persecuting Jesus because it's partly down to the wrong things that we have done and maybe continue to do in our lives that Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross. You know, when we live in pride and when we think that we know best and we choose to do things our own way and we want to put ourselves first, we are effectively turning our back on God and saying to God, I don't need you. But in order to receive God's forgiveness, in order to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, enabling and empowering change, we first have to admit our mistakes and admit that we need help. You know, if you're here today and you're not sure that you need help, whether you're a Christian or not, let me ask you, have you ever met a person, including yourself, that has never had to ask someone for forgiveness at some point in their life? Or have you ever known a person who could say that they have never fallen short of their own ideals and their own standards of behavior? I have such great ideals, and I know how rarely I actually match up to them. Or have you ever met a person who at some point in their lives hasn't fallen short of the justified and reasonable expectations that other people have of them? You know, we might all have different values and different ways of making sense of life and choosing how we're going to live, but every single one of us at some point has fallen short of even our own ideals, even our own standards. And, and the message to, to Jesus, the message of Jesus to Saul in this encounter and his message to us today is very simply that the reality is that if we have fallen short of even our own standards and our own ideals, how much more then have we fallen short of God's? But the great news in the message of Jesus is that forgiveness is available, is that the power to change is available because of what it is that Jesus has done on the cross. The starting point that we need to reach in order to receive that forgiveness, in order to experience that change, in order to be able to, to have the kind of stories that we've been hearing about today is very simply to admit that we need help to swallow our pride and to look to Jesus. There's a great promise in 1 Peter 5 verse 5 where it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, when we humble ourselves and we admit that we've done things wrong and we admit that we need God, then what God does is he promises that he will, in that time, pour his love into our lives, pour his forgiveness into our lives, pour his grace, his empowering presence to enable us to change into our lives so that we can be free from guilt, so that we can be free from the things that have been trapping us, so that we can be free from the things which have been holding us back from the life that God desires for us and we're enabled to change. It's a promise that he makes that he will do that. But the starting point is that we've got to humble ourselves and admit our need for him. Here's a prayer that's probably relevant to all of us. I thought it was great when I came across it. A man once prayed, Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, lusted, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. However, in a few minutes, I'm going to get out of bed. From that point on, I'm going to need your help. It's a great prayer, isn't it? The reality is that we all need God's help. And when Saul reaches that place of humility where he admits that he needs help, this is what we read happens next in verses 10 to 22. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. 
the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You know what I think Ananias is essentially saying? You're having a laugh. There's no chance. You know who this is? But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. It's quite a change of perspective, isn't it? From a man that he doesn't want to go and see. To say, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among these who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What a change. What a change we see in Saul's life. You know, when you know the backstory and how much he was opposed to Jesus and those who followed him. You know, you can't imagine that Saul even began to think that just a few days later he would be the one there sharing about Jesus, can you? You know, it might be this morning that you arrived here thinking, Jesus is not for me. Maybe because like Saul, you thought that you had it all sorted out, that life was fine, that you didn't need it. Or maybe actually like Saul, can you imagine him in those three days? I can imagine him there having all he's had is this encounter with Jesus where he's discovered how wrong he's got it. You can imagine him over those three days wondering, can I ever be forgiven? For what it is that I've done? Is that possible for me? Or maybe like Ananias, you look out at other people and you judge them. And you think there is no way that they're ever going to respond to Jesus. Maybe you've written people off in your life. You've stopped trying and hoping and praying that God's going to intervene. But what we see with Saul is a fantastic example of the fact that God is able to work in any and every person. It doesn't matter if you set yourself up as God's enemy. It doesn't matter if you feel trapped in a particular lifestyle and that you can't escape it. It doesn't matter what it is that you have done in the past and what it is that you are feeling guilty for. God is reaching out to you today. And he is more than able to bring about change in your life. He is more than able to set you free. He is more than able to forgive. He is more than able to fill that hole and for you to know that you are loved. 
Now, the change that God has for you is change that is for your best. It is change that leads to life in all its fullness. And he is simply waiting for you to admit that you need help. That you need him. You need his forgiveness. You need his strength. You need his power in your life. You know, that's what's happening essentially today when we we celebrate the baptisms in a few moments. You know, each one of the guys who are getting baptized are essentially publicly declaring, I need God's help. They recognized that actually they needed a course correction in life. That they needed to turn away from living for themselves, turn away from doing things their own way, and to receive God's forgiveness, to receive his strength, to receive his power, to help them to start living God's way. You know, one of the things that I love in, in Jesus' encounter with Saul, um, just very briefly, is that he realizes, when he realizes he needs Jesus, when he realizes um, that he, he's got it all wrong, when he chooses to turn away from his old way of living, turn away and turn to Jesus and put his hope and his trust in him, he's, he chooses to be baptized. And what is it that we see after that? What we see is immediately after he's been baptized, this incredible change within his life as he's released and he's empowered and he's sent out with a purpose for God. Immediately, the change that has taken place in his life is obvious to everyone. He can't stop talking about Jesus. The change that has happened in his life is so um, powerful and is so evident and is so radical that it is proof to everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. They just can't deny it. He didn't just receive God's forgiveness and a fresh start, as great as that is and as much as we all need it. But actually, he received power to change and power to live God's way and to serve Jesus for the rest of his life. You know, just as Jesus met with Saul, I think Jesus is reaching out to meet with you this morning. And he is inviting you to admit that you need help and inviting you to embrace change within your life. To lay aside your fears and your pride And to say to God, forgive me. Forgive me for what it is that I've done wrong. To say to God, I need your strength and your power to help me do what I know is right. To start stepping out in boldness. And living for you. And doing the things that I know you've been calling me to do. You know, for some of you guys this morning, it might be a radical course correction, a complete U-turn like we see with, Paul, with, with Saul becoming Paul, encountering Jesus for the first time. For others, it might simply be that God is showing you that if you, if you change your course by just a degree or two, that actually you will step so much into his blessing, you'll step so much into his purposes for you, that it will be so liberating and exciting. You know, there is no change which is off limits to God apart from the change that you won't allow him to do. Wherever you are willing to admit that you need him, that change is possible. So I just want to invite you this morning, really, just to to have a moment to be honest. To be honest with yourself. To be honest with God. To come to God and just to admit to him where it is that you need his help, where it is that you need his forgiveness. 
It might be that you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. Or it might simply be that you want to allow a, a course correction to happen of just a degree or two in your life as you set your hearts on him again. The great thing is that as you humble yourself before God, he promises that he will pour his grace out upon you. He will pour his forgiveness on you, his love upon you. He will pour his power into your life. It's a promise that we can be confident in. And if you're nervous about change, I want to just encourage you that the change that God wants to bring about is always for your best. It's because he loves you. God says that perfect love casts out all fear. So when you are moving into change with God, it is in his perfect love. And there's nothing for you you need to be afraid of. So I just want to invite you guys this morning just to, to respond. And if you want to just say to God that I need you. I need your help in a particular area in my life. I need your help either to stop doing something or start doing something. I need your help to, to, for my heart to be in the right place and for me to put you first. I need your help for, um, to, to, to turn away from things, whatever it might be. If you just want to say to God this morning, I need your help. I'm just going to ask you just to put your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Knowing that God's promise is that as you humble yourself before him, he will pour his grace out into your life. You just want to raise your hand now and then I'll pray in a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for each and every person here who has raised their hand today. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way in which they have humbled themselves before you. God, I just want to thank you now for your promise that you promised that, that you give grace to the humble. So I pray now that you would just come and you would meet each and every one of these people and that you would pour your grace into their lives. You would pour your empowering into their lives. You would pour your spirit into their lives. You would pour your love into their lives right now, Lord Jesus. God, if they may be nervous about change, I just pray particularly just for a fresh infilling of your love that they would know that they can trust you, that you are good, that you love them, and you will only bring about change that is for their best. I just pray that each and every one of those people, that would be a a constant heart attitude that they would now live with. That day by day, they may continuously see changes going on within their lives. That they may become more like you and draw closer to you and know the fullness of relationship with you and all the joy that is in it that is available to them. And know the fullness of your spirit at work within their lives and all of the power that is available to them. That they would be a people who, like Saul, would be so changed that it would be evident to everybody. And that actually because of the work that you have done within their lives, people would look at them and they would not be able to deny that you are the living God. That you are active and you are powerful and that people would be drawn to you because of it. Pour out your blessing upon these guys, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen.